Good morning and happy Sabbath. It is a real privilege and a joy for me to speak to you today. I'm sorry I cannot greet you and meet you in person. I'm speaking to you from my home office here in Apopka, Central Florida. I want to thank your pastor, Bill Bossett. Thank you, Bill, for allowing me and inviting me to speak today. And I look forward, if I'm invited back, when the pandemic is behind us and our churches, of course, are opened, to be able to fellowship and worship with you here at Naples. As we begin this message, I've entitled it Conservative, Liberal, or Christian. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you that your name is above every other name. Your name is above depression. Your name is above loneliness. Your name is above a lost job or a divorce. Your name is above the economy. Your name is above disease and cancer. Most of all, we need to hear it and believe it that your name is above the COVID virus. So as we open your word today and as we worship you, speak to our hearts, encourage us, and help us to receive and embrace this message that you have for us today. May we claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a pastor who proposed the idea that there would be two groups of people that make it to heaven, the A Christians and the B Christians. An A group, if you please, and a B group. The A group would get first choice of the mansions, while the B group would get a mansion, but no pool. Others would be down in the condos and apartments. Some may even live in tents. And over the years, this pastor has built a case he has observed the difference between these groups and how they live. The A Christians pay tithe on their gross income, while the B Christians pay tithe on the net. The B Christians go to the movies, the A Christians wait for the DVD to come out, or they watch it on Netflix. The A Christians watch only G-rated movies, the B Christians watch PG. The bees go swimming on the Sabbath. The A's only allow the water to go up to their ankles. The bees wear jewelry. The A's take the jewels and wear it on their clothes. And the A group, they only use the King James Version of the Bible, while the bees read the Living or the Revised Translation. The bees play cards. The A's put puzzles together. The bees go line dancing. The A's call it aerobics. The A's pray by the side of the bed. The bees pray under the covers. The bees get mad and say a swear under their breath while the A's get mad and think about it, but they hold it back. The A's collect money to send their pastors on annual vacations to exotic islands while the bees think pastors only work a few hours a week as it is and don't really need a vacation. 
As I thought about this A and B list, I believe this categorizing goes much deeper than we realize or that we're willing to admit. What about those labels we use? The Democrats and Republicans, the left and the right, the radicals and the progressives, the carnivores and the vegans. How often do we use labels in our categorizing and in our description of one another without real thought? Let's face it, labels seem to help simplify life. Labels also seem to distort reality. Even in the church, we use labels. It's easier to reject someone else's ideas with a knee-jerk, oh, he's just a conservative, or she's a liberal. What do you expect? And to think things through for ourselves. Even before we read a book, we must determine if the author is either a conservative or a liberal. The fact is no one is 100% liberal or conservative all the time. And these terms are far murkier than we realize. Because of labels, we fall into the trap of assessing the value of an idea by referring to its source. We seem to embrace or reject an idea simply on the basis of what the badge of a person reads, liberal or conservative. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and looking at verse 10, beginning with verse 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 13. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there will be no division, divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. Verse 11, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Verse 13, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized? in the name of Paul. Interesting reading, right? When Philip, after having met Christ, went looking for Nathanael, he said, we have found the Messiah of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And like Nathaniel, we too ask, can any good thing come out of a conservative? Can any good thing come out of a traditionalist? Can, or we say, can any good thing come out of a liberal or a progressive thinker? You see, in Christ's day, they too had labels. Labels of Judaism. For instance, they were the Sadducees. They were the liberals. They were the left side. They believed in the Torah, but rejected the rest of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in a resurrection after death, or in angels, or in a judgment. Then you had the Pharisees. They were the conservatives. They were the orthodox group. 
Their system of belief was one of rigid adherence to the laws of God and to the traditions of the rabbis. They believed in the future life. They believed in the coming of a Messiah. And then there were the Essenes, the radicals, the ultra-conservatives. They lived down by the Dead Sea and they avoided social gatherings. They dressed in white. They were vegetarian. Some scholars maintain that John the Baptist belonged to this group. And then there were the zealots. They had political interests and they were considered a violent group, even the shedding of blood if necessary. They carried a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other. In fact, one of Christ's disciples was part of this group. You remember Simon the Zealot? In addition, in Christ's day, there were two classes of society named after two rabbis that had died just before Jesus was born. First was Hillel. He represented the liberal class. And then you had Rabbi Shammai, and he represented the conservatives. So question, what about Jesus? Was he a liberal or was he a conservative? When you read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you noticed that it seems almost impossible to put a label on him? From one point of view, we could call him a conservative. Notice if you would, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five and beginning with verse 17. The Bible says, in fact, Jesus himself is speaking. Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And all the conservatives said, Amen. Yet, we could also call Jesus a liberal. He lived, in fact, by the principle where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He was the forgiving type. He broke the Sabbath many times, according to the religious establishment. Jesus worked without rabbinical credentials. He ignored church traditions. He went so far as to place himself above the Old Testament. He said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. At times, both conservatives and liberals appeared nervous and uncertain as to what side Jesus really embraced. So the Sadducees, Jesus was nothing but a dangerous radical. And then to the Pharisees, he was teaching liberal theology. The religious leaders critiqued his every word and move. Jesus was constantly under a microscope. He challenged the status quo. He placed tax collectors and prostitutes and social outcasts on the same value scale as religious leaders. But the real shocker came one day when Jesus told a parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 
the 10th chapter. Here, in this story, Jesus announces that in the final examination, the passing grade would not depend on political orthodoxy or 28 fundamental beliefs. Instead, he would judge candidates for heaven based on their love for God and their love for others. You remember the story there in Luke, the 10th chapter. There was a man, a Jew, who was making his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers who beat him, stole his money and his clothes, and left him for dead. And there he lies on the Jericho road, soon to die. And the Bible says a certain priest was walking by that day. Certainly he will stop to help. He's a religious man. He's a priest, a Sabbath keeper, a tithe payer, a conservative. Surely he will help. But the Bible says he does not stop. He passes by on the other side. He's too busy. He has to go worship at the temple. He has no time to stop. The Bible goes on to say that a Levite also walked by that day. Surely he'll notice the man. He's a Levite, in fact. And verse 32 says, when he came to the place and saw him, he came and looked at him. Notice the Levite comes even closer to look at this beaten sinner than the priest does. He's compassionate. He's practical. He's more grace-oriented. Surely he will stop. But the Bible says he too walked by on the other side of the road. Here are two churchmen. Here are two religious men supposedly godly men. They prided themselves on their conservative or their progressive religiosity. Yet they both walked by. God help us if our theological correctness leaves us so preoccupied with ourselves that we can't reach a human being on the Jericho Road. It was a story of a man who went to church. And as he was walking from the parking lot into the church at the front doors, the greeters spotted him wearing a brown hat. And right away they began discussing, look at this man coming with a brown hat. We can't let him come into church wearing that hat. And so as he opened the, they opened the door for him, as he stepped into the lobby, the greeter said, I'm sorry, good morning, but you cannot wear that hat. You must take it off. And the man said, I'm sorry, but the hat stays on. And as he walked from the lobby around the corner, immediately he was meted by a deacon. And the deacon too said to the man, hello, sir. Welcome to our church. But I must tell you, please, you must remove your hat. And the man again said, I'm sorry, but the hat stays on. And as he was about to walk into the sanctuary, there he was greeted by an elder. And the elder said to him, 
I'm so sorry, sir, but if you're going to come into the sanctuary, you must take off your hat. And he said, no, I'm sorry, but the hat stays on. He walked into the sanctuary, sat down, listened to the sermon. And as he walked out of church at the end of the service, the pastor was there to greet him. And the pastor said to him, hello, I'm so glad that you're with us. But there's just one thing. We don't allow people to come into church wearing that big brown hat. The next time, would you please remove it? To which the man replied, Pastor, I'm not going to remove the hat. And let me tell you why. I've been coming to this church for three months, and nobody has talked to me. But now that I'm wearing a brown hat, everybody is talking to me. The greeter, the deacon, the elder, and now you. So if it means that you're going to talk to me to wear a brown hat, the hat stays on. So a question. Does someone have to come to your church wearing a brown hat in order for someone to talk to them? The truth of the matter is, we can go to the temple and pray all day. We can study the Bible and think to win every argument. We could be conservative and stand by the old landmarks or liberal and accept new ideas but still leave people dying on the Jericho Road. Listen, my friend, God does not care if we are conservative. God does not care if we are liberal. What he really wants is for us to be Christ-like, to be Christian, and to reach people on the Jericho Road. If we want to grow spiritually and have a character like Christ, we do it not by being conservative, not by being liberal, not by talking about others' faults or differences and failures and walking by on the other side of the road. We develop a character like Christ by walking where Jesus walked, by reaching out to those on the Jericho Road as Christ reached out. I'm sorry, but I have little time for debating some of the fine issues of theology just to win an argument. Wrangling over fine spun theology while passing people by on the Jericho Road. It does not matter if we pride ourselves as traditional or progressive. When we stand before the judgment, the Father is not going to ask if we lived a traditional or progressive life. But rather, the Father is going to ask us if we love Jesus and love people and serve them on the Jericho Road. Christianity is not taking a stand as a conservative or a liberal. But rather, Christianity is taking a walk with Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me this morning. The church must have a true and sound theology to take to the world. And I believe we have one. And we've had our share of theological battles as a church with the Desmond Forts and the Walter Rays and the Davenports 
and they will continue because the Bible says that the wheat and the tares will grow together. But while we're debating our theological and philosophical positions in the church, many are perishing on the Jericho Road. Friend, I hope you're getting this. In the end, God's not going to tell me how many theological debates I won, but rather how many souls I helped on the Jericho Road. When I begin to understand that Jesus' character, when I understand his character, I realize that labels are not important and they tend to divide us. Our focus must be on what it means to be like Jesus. Because rules and doctrines, as important as they are, will never be the final measure of my religious experience. In fact, Matthew 25, Jesus says this himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and beginning with verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. So tell me, what do all these people have in common? They were all walking the Jericho Road, and somebody came to them and helped them and served them and blessed them. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is greater than spiritual gifts. Love is greater than knowledge. Love is greater than theology. Love is greater than conservatism or traditionalism. Love is greater than liberalism or progressiveness. Love is greater than faith and hope. The greatest of all is love. And love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus said, all mankind will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So did the priest really know God? Did he? No. Did the Levite know God? No. Did the Samaritan know God? Yes. Why? Because he helped. He reached out to the man who was dying on the Jericho Road. One of the founders of this church, Ellen White, said these words. If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there is only one. Don't you see? Christianity is taking a walk with Jesus. My whole life focus must be on what it means to be like Jesus. So friend, don't call me conservative. Don't call me liberal. Call me Christian. A few years ago, in the city of Los Angeles, a story was reported of a man whom the newspapers called the Gentleman Bandit. His name was Lon Perry. 
And over a period of two years, he committed over 100 robberies, targeting primarily hotel rooms. He had one distinction. He left behind one trademark. He always robbed with impeccable manners. He said please and thank you at gunpoint. He said excuse me while he went through their purse or wallet. He would return photographs of grandchildren. He would phone the front desk and say the person in room 310 could use some help getting untied. He was known to have phoned his victims to ask them how they were recovering. And he would apologize for having stolen their money. And finally, he turned himself in in order to keep another man who was wrongly arrested for committing his crimes from being convicted. Truly a gentleman to the end. And the people adored him. Some thought of him as a hero. One of his victims was quoted as saying, he was so kind, I just gave him all my money. And if I had to do it again, I would do the same thing. This story raises a question. Is human kindness and courtesy so rare that we adore it even in a thief while he is robbing us? God is waiting for a people to love as Jesus loved. The world is waiting for a love that the church is to give. If we don't give the love that is needed as a church, who will? God bless you, and may God bless the message today. God bless you as you live your life on the Jericho Road. Amen.